1: Uh, As we begin our teaching portion today, I want to tell a story about a husband and a wife. uh, A couple, like many of you might know, Uh, this couple had been married a while. Uh, They had said their vows a number of years ago. Uh, They had children and all the busyness and things that that brings. Parents, deep sigh, (gasps) Uh, but they were busy with work. They're busy with life. Uh, Once you, you know, once you get that rent payment or a mortgage payment, like work becomes a real thing. You got to take care of the house and pay the bills, and they're getting the kids here and there to all the activities, and you know, life's just happening. Life's going on at warp speed for this family. Uh, One day, the wife approaches her husband, and she asks him a very sincere question. She asks him, do you still love me? And in that moment, the husband was kind of taken back by her question. He says, of course, of course. I, I take out the garbage. You know, I, I cut the grass. I help get dinner ready. Like I help run the kids around, the sports and school and, and all the things. Like I'll even unload the dishwasher and, and I even dig those pennies out of the vacuum cleaner when it gets stuck. I told you that I loved you when we got married and, that ever changes i'll be sure to tell you now honey have you seen the remote <laughs> now you don't have to be a relationship expert to know that that was not the right answer right that husband's probably in just a wee bit of trouble because you see we recognize that while this husband all his acts of service all the deeds that that he had been doing were well intended and likely motivated by love uh, but they were not a replacement for the genuine expression of love for his bride. It was not a replacement for that spark, that love that began that initial flame. And in our relationships with one another, uh, we, value, uh, uh, we value loyalty and honesty, and we recognize that good deeds and charitable actions are all part of a relationship, but they're no substitute for a genuine heart connection. And as much as we recognize that in our own relationships, uh, it is also true for our relationship with the Lord. It's also true with our relationship with the Lord because there's no amount of good deeds, there's no amount of, of holding to good doctrine or hard work in His name that can replace genuine connection and intimacy with God the Father. And in fact, if all we are focused on is works and what we can do for the Lord, Jesus says that we have actually forsaken our first love, that we've fallen away from our first commitment and devotion to Him. And if we don't return to that genuine love, we risk losing it all. And today, as we continue in our teaching series, The Seven Churches of Revelation, we're going to see that this was the warning. This is the message warning that Jesus sent to his church in Ephesus. And that's the message that we, too, want to consider in our lives and in our context today. Uh, We believe that the book of Revelation is a valuable and important tool for living out our faith, for living the Jesus life, just like the rest of our scriptures, just like the rest of the Bibles. And so throughout our series, uh, we're seeking to understand the original context. We want to understand when and how it was written and what that audience heard. But we also have the opportunity and the desire to listen in, to hear this message for our context and our faith life together as the church. And so we're asking the question as we study, what was the message then and what is the message for us now? And while the book of Revelation contains many prophetic visions and really challenging and um, unique imagery, we don't ever want to lose the sight of the fact that it begins and ends with Jesus. It begins and ends with Jesus and in that truth there is great hope friends, for every generation, including us today. Revelation is a Jesus letter, and our series today uh, we're going to specifically focus throughout the summer over the next several weeks on the letters written to the churches, and today we begin that in chapter 2 with Jesus's words to the church in Ephesus, and so if you're here today and able, I would invite you to stand as we read God's word Uh, If you were here last week and we worked through chapter one, you heard that there was a blessing pronounced on those who would read and study and obey the words recorded in Revelation. So as we stand today, as we dive into God's word, uh, we are joining generations of church tradition in the reading and hearing of God's word. And so we want to also follow in obedience. So let's begin today in Revelation chapter two, uh, beginning in verse one, reading through verse seven. Uh, It's on the screen in NIV and in your U version notes as well. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated this morning. Have you ever, in your job or your employment history, have you ever gone through like a yearly evaluation at work? You know, that time of year comes around where the boss calls you in and you know that you're going to talk about how it's been going. Like this is a performance evaluation. Now, hopefully in your experience and even in your current context, you have a gracious supervisor and so they will begin with the positive feedback first, right? Let's talk about some of the things you're doing right, you're doing well. Uh, Mr. Smith, now if your last name's Smith, this was not for you, this was just for my conversation here Mr. Smith you know you're you're always on time you, you always answer your emails you're quick to respond to the phone even when you're not working you're hard working you're there when we need you and when the going gets tough you are dependable Mr. Smith you're doing a great job and we hear all of that positive feedback and in those moments we can appreciate it but there's still something in our mind that knows that there's something else coming right there is a but somewhere in this conversation. You're on time, you're efficient, you're awesome, everything's great, but your heart sinks in those moments, doesn't it? Your heart sinks, you get a knot in your stomach, you feel the weight of that tension enter the conversation. And no matter what comes after that but in that conversation, it's likely going to take away all the good things you felt about in the interview before that. And if you're like me, no matter what precedes the but, whatever follows it hits you right in the gut. It's heavy. You feel it. Now imagine, if you will, for just a moment, imagine how it felt for the church in Ephesus. Imagine that letter being read aloud just as we stood and heard the word of the Lord. Imagine that being read aloud. The first three verses are like a five-star Google review. Go, Yeah! Yes, we're doing it, right? We've been working hard. We've held the line doctrinally. We've persevered. Jesus says we're rocking it. And then that gut check moment comes in verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You've given up on that love. I can only imagine that took the breath away from them. Because this is a group of people that cared, that was leaning in, that was persevering and working hard, but you've forsaken your first love. (gasps) Imagine today if we were hearing from Jesus, if he was giving us a review. Would you lean in? Would you be willing to be still Even if there was a but in that review, would you listen in and lean in? As your pastor today, I want to encourage us that, yes, (laughs) let's lean in. As a church, as followers of Jesus, we want to sit humbly and sit honestly before the mirror of His truth, allowing Him to search us. Yes, to call us out, to call us forward, to call us to repentance will you listen? Will you listen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you today for your word. Uh, We thank you for the blessing that you have pronounced for those who will read and hear and study and yes, obey your word. And Lord, we want to step into that tradition today of obedience as we hear your word. And so Lord, will you search our hearts today? As you gave John this vision, as you were calling out the leaders of the church in Ephesus, Lord, will you call out to us today and may we hear and sense the move of your Spirit calling us, inviting us to repentance, Lord. And may we never lose sight of you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're only on week two in our teaching series, which you, you can already kind of pick up on. And if you've studied Revelation at all before this series, you know that it, it's, it, it can be challenging. But we've already established that this is a Jesus-focused letter that he is the central theme, the central figure in our letter. And today, as we begin in chapter 2, we see Jesus as the prominent central figure, the one giving the revelation. And so we don't want to lose focus on the invitation and the exhortation of Jesus as he calls to his church. And the message begins really in verse 2 of chapter 2. He says, I know your deeds. And so you can tell Jesus is portrayed, he knows his church. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. We see here that the church in Ephesus was really getting a lot of things right. There was a lot of good stuff happening In the church. And Ephesus as a city uh, was one of the most culturally influential cities in the Roman world. And its position and its trade route uh, uses, it made it a melting pot of culture and religion. And and within the city of Ephesus, there was a prevalence of the Roman imperial cult. And that that's basically like patriotism turned religion. Uh, They worshiped Caesar, they worshiped the government, and that was so prevalent. In Ephesus and Ephesus was also known uh, for hosting or housing the temple for the pagan goddess Diana, where she was worshipped and promoted idolatry and sexual immorality. That, that was just the norm as a form of worship. And we can recognize in our day the plurality and even the call of, of a worship of sexuality and, and immorality and those things. And so we recognize that our world is not so different, even today. And so Ephesus is a, a cultural and religious melting pot. And if you would go through the book of Acts, you see the Apostle Paul's journey some 40 years earlier. He spent a significant amount of time there preaching the news of Jesus, establishing the community and the church. And late in the first century, as we hit chronologically as John is writing and communicating the vision of Jesus, he commends them, he compliments them on the way they have held firm, the way they've held the truth, He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. They were not lazy. It was not for lack of being engaged and persevering. They were willing to do the hard things in the face of much adversity. When the going got tough, they still kept at it. Jesus commended them, you cannot tolerate wicked people, and you have tested those who claim to be apostles. Uh, The apostle Paul warned them that uh, false teachers would come through like savage wolves seeking to tear apart the flock. And Jesus says, look, you can't tolerate people that are coming in false doctrine. You've tested them, and you've held the line doctrinally. He says, you've persevered and endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. It was a dangerous thing to tell someone that you were a Christian in first century Rome. Christianity as a religion was not really legalized by the government for another 200 years. And so you had to be cautious in sharing your faith and what you shared with your neighbor for you might find yourself persecuted. But in in the face of that, they have held on for the cause of Christ. They've not stopped fighting the good fight. They had a lot of good things going for them. And at this point, if you were to just imagine for a little bit, uh, imagine the leaders have come together for the church in Ephesus. Uh, They're sitting together in a room while this is being read for the very first time. Maybe they shared a meal together. The the room is dimly lit uh, by firelight, and and they want to hear, they've heard that a message from the apostle John has come to their church. What could it be? Didn't John, didn't he get uh, exiled over to Patmos? what's he writing about? Because remember, like no FaceTime, no text. You had to do a little guessing, right? What could it be? What's, what's John saying? And as they hear these first words, they're listening in, and, and you can almost imagine like, yeah, a couple head nods of affirmation as they remember and they think about some of the life they've lived together, some of the challenges. Maybe they even get a few smiles as they hear about their faithfulness and holding the line doctrinally. There's almost an air of satisfaction in these first couple verses. Yeah, like, we're doing it. We're doing it. And then that moment comes where the air gets sucked out of the room in an instant. From an air of satisfaction, you hear the words, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Just think about the weight that came in that moment. Because they care. They're leaning in. They care about doctrine. They care about perseverance. Yet I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. I, I don't know about you, but it's not hard for me to imagine that knot that came into their stomachs in that moment. What does he mean? <laughs> How? What do you mean, return? I can only imagine they had as many questions then as we do today and here as we approach this in our text we're really faced with one of the hardest questions the hardest interpretation challenges in this passage and that is to discern what does it mean that they have forsaken their first love like what is that love what does that action involve and as we try to understand this text and see it for our culture that's really the pivotal matter because that's the impetus for being a call to repentance And so, uh, as with many things in Revelation, there's not as many details and there's not as many explanations as we might like to have at first. Uh, And before we wrestle with that, I just want to make one point of emphasis here. I want us to notice that when Jesus calls them out, as he says, I have this against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Uh, This idea of forsaken is that uh, they didn't lose it, they left it. They didn't haphazardly leave it behind in the car one day, they left it. They've abandoned their first love. So as we keep that in our mind and step into the interpretation of what does it mean they've left their first love, uh, it's hard because there are uh, New Testament scholars that uh, disagree on what this is pointing to, and so there's not a general universal consensus on what Jesus is calling them to Uh, and so I want to wrestle with both. I want to wrestle with both, and that's what we're going to do today. Uh, The first view, there's generally two thoughts that are regarded as most likely, most probable. Uh, The first interpretation, return to the love you had at first. The cause that they are being called or the love that they've forsaken is their love for God their love for God. So just like we opened with the story of the husband and the wife and how the husband uh, was taking out the trash and mowing the yard and doing all these things, thinking that's what it truly meant to love his wife. Perhaps the church was busy doing all these things for God. They were focused on committing uh, to doctrinal truth and preserving those things that they had lost their connection, their intimacy with God the Father. They had lost that first love. They were going through all of the motions of church and doing all of the things, but it lacked the motivation and the connection of love. And so the call to return is the call to return to intimacy with God the Father. Now, the the second position, another popular view of this text, is that the church had lost their love for others the church had lost their loves for others, for reaching out in evangelism, taking the news of Jesus beyond the walls of the church. Perhaps in their fervency to keep correct doctrines in the midst of the religious plurality that they lived in, and in an effort and fervency to keep those doctrines, to keep things in order and comfortable within the church, they had lost a passionate heart for Jesus for the lost. When Paul first started this church uh, some 20 to 30 years prior, it took off like wildfire. As people found new life in Christ, they experienced his forgiveness and his love. They could not help but tell their neighbors and to show others the way of Jesus. And as you fast forward, it could be that the church has been nailing the doctrines. They've been holding on to truth, but they're missing the commission, the fire that they once had to see their neighbors experience Jesus too. Their passion had shifted to preservation rather than mission. And so God is calling them back to his heart for the lost. And so we, we have two views here. And yes, they're nuanced and they're different. But the exhortation that Jesus gives, that he brings, uh, really gives resolution to both. And it's good for us to remember at this point, this is not just about them then. This is for us to hear now as well. Let's look at what Jesus says they are to do. Verse 5, he says consider, you think about it like that remember, take intentional thought. Remember how far you have fallen. Remember the way it was. He says repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Whatever's going on here in the church in Ephesus is no light matter to Jesus. He says, if you don't repent, if you don't change your ways, I will remove your lampstand from its place. And again, we're ushered back to the imagery of chapter one where Jesus uh, was moving in and about the lampstands in John's vision. And so this idea of losing your lampstand, it would be to lose your privileged position. It would be to lose God's favor, his presence among the church. He says, change your ways. And what was, what was called, what was required was, was not a minor adjustment. It was a radical reversal to their first love, to the way they had lived before. Repent. Find the love that you had in the past. In verse 6, he continues, he says, but you have this in your favor. So they just got hit in the gut and called to repent. He says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, and we're going to dive in a little bit in a couple weeks what that means, but they were promoting idolatry and false worship and so many things going on, they're taking away from the worship of Jesus. And he says, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And it's like here, Jesus knew that he would almost have to pick them back up after they heard that hard word, right? They would have to embrace them, give them another shot of encouragement to keep going. And so he commends them once more that you hate the the idolatrous works and deeds. And he again encourages them not to miss the message. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And he says at the close of verse 7, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It began with Jesus and it ends with the hope of Jesus. Revelation, again, at its core is a Jesus letter, and in that there is great hope. There was hope for the church in Ephesus, and there is hope for the church in Elkton, Virginia today. There is hope in Jesus. Revelation is a Jesus letter. It is a book full of hope And Jesus is reminding them of the future hope and glory they have in him, in the new heaven and the new earth. And friends, that is the hope that we stand alive in today in Christ Jesus in 2023. If you don't believe me, I would encourage you, take the spoiler alert. Go ahead and read the end of the letter. Go read chapter 22. Read about the hope that we have, about the promise of new creation where there is no more sin, death, and pain, and crying, and grief go read the hope and be encouraged today, friends. The one who calls us to repentance is the one who promises us hope and eternal life with him. Revelation is a book of hope, friends. It's a book of hope. Uh, As as the band makes their way forward, uh, even in our our short study of this book, and if you've studied it in the past, you know this is no easy task. Uh, There's so many questions, there's so many images, there's so many prophetic signs, and and we lack so many details that we would love to have concrete answers on. And, And today, we kind of bumped into one of those scenarios. What does it mean? What is he talking about to return to your first love? And so today, I... I want us to hold, whether you fall on uh, a a forsaking of evangelism or a forsaking of intimacy with the Father, I want us to hold that position, that uh, conviction with charity and openness to the other position. I'm not going to resolve it today. (laughs) I want us to sit before the move of the Holy Spirit and just allow Him to search our hearts today. Because there is great scholarship, men and women who love the Lord and have studied this, that support both sides. And so today, I just want to sit in that space and say, search our hearts, Lord. Search our hearts. I I have really struggled to land on one side of this matter or the other because I think both of them, uh, to witness the, the cooling down of intimacy with God and the loss of a love for evangelism, I think both of them are easy to see. I don't think either one of them are hard to imagine. And so what would it look like today? We're not going to stop because we've hit a a fork in the road. I want to try them on a little bit. I want to try them on a little bit. So let's say for a minute, what should we hear if this is a warning, if this is Jesus calling us to return to our love for others, our love for evangelism? I think the message is that Jesus is coming, he's speaking, he's saying that it's not enough to hate the things that I hate, you must also love the way that I love. You see, the the, the church's uh, moral and doctrinal values, uh, they're under attack. Like culture in the world is constantly putting pressure on the church to compromise. and, And friends, that's a battle of principalities. It's a battle of good versus evil, and it is imperative that we hold true to the doctrines of Scripture, to the witness of Jesus and His Spirit. We must hold true to those truths. And the church in Ephesus in their day, they were commended for that. Man, for 40 years they've been clinging. For 40 years they've held the line doctrinally. And friends, that must be true for us today. We must hold on to the truth revealed in God's Word But we cannot become so focused on holding the line doctrinally that we forsake the heart of Jesus for the lost and broken world around us. why so many things are happening and there's a struggle, there's a a battle going on. I think it's so easy to become focused on preservation. How do we just hold tight a little longer? How do we just curl in and hold on to truth? We forget that there is a lost and broken and dying world in our uh, neighborhoods that needs the love of Jesus. And so to return to that first love would be to rekindle that fire to share our faith to point people to Jesus to point people to the hope and the healing that we have found in him return to your first love And friends it is so hard to hold on to doctrine and truth and hold the hand of a broken world but that is our call is to partner with Jesus in his redemption story And not to forsake one for the other. You know, I I, as I was thinking about this message and and this position, I I I just remember like some of Jesus' harshest words that came out of his mouth were to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious elite of his day. And those were the guys that had the law down. From childhood, they had it memorized but so much of his rebuke, so much rebuke from Jesus came because they were missing the call in the heart of God to reach the world. And so friends, we don't want that to be true of us. We must have true doctrine. We must hold to the truth of scripture, but we also must reach out to our lost and broken neighbors and friends and family. It is hard, but he is able. He is able. So what about this other view? Let's try that on. Uh, What would this call to a return to intimacy with God be like? I mean, I think if we're honest, if you've been a Christian for more than like three and a half minutes, you understand that it can grow cool. Like when we're we're saved, we come to know Jesus and we feel that weight lifted. We feel that new life That Man, we're on fire for God. We can't wait to dive into His Word. Man, we got Caleb dialed up on the radio. It is all in, all the time that the church doors are open. Man, we're there. We have to know more. Man, then then life comes, right? Life happens. Struggles come. Pain hits. And, And we grow cold. We go from living in God's Word to just trying to get by with our daily bread. And I'm not against the daily bread, but we try to just get by with those two verses and go on about our day. Prayer comes when we need something. Church is just what I have to do to stay in good standing. You see, we become about motions rather than intimacy with us. And so Jesus is calling to his church, return to that fervency, return to that fire that you had when you first knew me, when you first gave your heart to me. Return to that passion. Do the things you did at first. Seek me with all of your heart. Lean in. Dive into that relationship. Don't substitute works for relationship. Repent. And the beauty of this is that the call to repentance fits both. So while we might move around and come back together, we still come back to the call of repentance. And so I would ask you today, what is God impressing upon your heart? As you stand before the mirror of Revelation 2 and the word to the church in Ephesus, what is God calling you to? To renewed fervency for the mission of the church, for your family, your lost loved ones, Will you return? Will you return? And maybe God's calling you saying, son, daughter, return to that fervency with me in prayer and studying my word. Return, return. Friends, the promise of hope stands for those who will repent. That we have the promise of hope in Jesus. The promise of his spirit to empower us and guide us. Will you obey him today? Will you obey him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we just want to humble ourselves before you. Lord, we want to hear your call to return to our first love. Lord, I'm convinced that if we get closer to your heart, Lord, that will bring you joy, and it will bring us transformation, and it will bring us a passion to reach others. Lord, nearness to you is the answer. So we say yes, Lord. Yes. Lord, foster that love in us to dive into your word, Lord, to listen to your word, to praise you, to pray every moment of every day, Lord, to express relationship with you. And Lord, as we grow closer to you, give us a burden for our lost and broken world. Yes, Lord, we stand on the truth of your word, but we want to stand reaching out the way you did. Holy Spirit, please come. We say yes, Lord, to the move of your spirit today. May we be quick to repent. May I, Lord Jesus, be quick to repent and return to that first love. We thank you today for your grace and your mercy, Father. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at C-O-T-N-A-Z. Org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.